Hello, and welcome back to the Stroke Special Interest Group podcast presented by the ANPT and APTA. I'm your host and fellow neurophysical therapist enthusiast, Marissa Moran. I'm joined today by Dr. Shitra Bala Subramanian to discuss her research and interest in walking adaptability after a stroke. Dr. B received her bachelor in physiotherapy from Manipal University, India, and her PhD in rehabilitation science from University of Florida. Dr. B is professor in the Doctor of Physical Therapy program at University of North Florida. At UNF, she is also the director of UNF Hicks Hall Research Laboratory and an adjunct faculty in the UNF Biomedical Sciences program. The overarching goal of her research program is to motivate the design of personalized rehabilitative interventions for improvement of mobility, walking, and balance function in older adults and individuals with neurologic injuries. Dr. B serves on several professional organizations, has received multiple awards for her role as an educator and researcher, and was the recipient of the 2022 ANPT Stroke SIG Research Award. Dr. B is passionate about educating and mentoring evidence-based healthcare professionals, advancing clinical research, and community service. Welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Marissa. That was a really nice introduction. Thank you for having me. Yeah, happy you're here. We are specifically going to be discussing your review article in the Stroke Research and Treatment Journal published in 2014 on walking adaptability after stroke and its assessment in the clinical setting. Can you provide for us, Dr. B, a brief background on this article for our listeners? Sure. So this was, as you mentioned, this was a research article that I published in 2014. This is a review article. I would like to say this uh, This also has some specific recommendations and suggestions. So this is a review that me and my collaborators published in the area of walking adaptability, specifically for individuals with stroke. And in this review, we have presented our literature review on uh, several commonly used clinical assessments and the ability of these assessments to capture walking adaptability. We have, of course, defined what walking adaptability is, and we have presented our recommendations and opinions on why walking adaptability should be assessed and how it could be assessed in the clinic. What made you interested in research walking adaptability, and can you define this construct for us? That's a great question. And when I hear you ask that question, it takes me back to my overall research career. So my overall research career has certainly been focused on studying walking. When I was a PhD student, I worked primarily with biomechanical data. I was looking at a lot of biomechanics kind of data. I was doing a lot of experimental work. But even in my early years as a graduate student, because I've been a clinician for as long as I have been uh, in my research career, my focus was always to utilize, for example, biomechanical data to answer clinical questions and interpret results from those data in the context of clinical relevance. So for example, one of my first publications, which was really to correlate some of that biomechanical ground reaction force asymmetry in individuals with stroke with stepping asymmetry. And this publication really led to developing something that was simple, relatively simple approach to assess walking function in people with stroke. So I've always been interested in uh, aspects that are most clinically relevant to patients and research participants. 
But it was not really until I graduated and I started expanding my research that I got interested in asking this very simple question is, what do people really do with their walking in real life, right? What do we need walking for? What do I, what do I, my patients do with their walking? And that's how I sort of stumbled upon this aspect of adaptability. Walking adaptability is identified as a, being a clinician and also a researcher that it's really important that our patients and our research participants and individuals with stroke are really successful and safe in walking in daily life. And to be able to do that, you really need to be able to adapt your walking to task goals. Uh, for example, a goal may be to walk fast, to cross a street. A goal could be to adapt your walking to environmental demands, such as if you are in a shopping mall and you're walking around people, you are on a trail walking on uneven terrains. So daily life really requires this ability to adapt walking. And that's what we refer to as walking adaptability. So like if I were to give you a definition of walking adaptability, it would be the ability of an individual to adapt or modify their walking to meet both goals of the task and demands of the environment. So meeting task goals and meeting environmental demands. Can you provide a few examples where walking adaptability is required? When you think about when we need walking adaptability, a simple answer to that would be walking is all about walking adaptability, right? But it doesn't really help us because then you're thinking about, you know, should I be assessing walking adaptability for my patients? And if I should, what should be certain, like what should be circumstances under which I'm, I'm, I should be assessing? So one way we have approached this is to really conceptualize when we need walking adaptability. So I'll kind of give you a first a conceptual way to think about it. I would suggest we think about walking adaptability as required whenever the complexity of the task situation exceeds what can be accomplished with just basic stepping. For example, adaptability and ability to modify walking will be crucial when you're walking on uneven or cluttered terrains, so an unpredictable environment. So in such environments, you need to ensure you're safely and correctly placing your feet so you don't have a trip or a fall. Adaptability would be necessitated in all such situations whenever your basic stepping strategy is not sufficient to meet the demands of the task goals and meet the demands of the environment. Many specific examples can be cited, can be less complex, more predictable environments like walking at home. Even walking at home would require some adaptability. It may require lesser domains, which we described in our uh, review paper, uh, lesser domains of adaptability because the walking path will likely be uncluttered. You will be walking at your own pace. You won't have too much you know, traffic you have to negotiate within your home environment as opposed to when you're walking out in a busy street. You are negotiating street curbs, ramps. You have to walk to cross a street, uh, walking and talking to a friend, walking and carrying objects as you're walking. So these are all sort of those examples where walking adaptability is required. But one way to kind of think about when we need adaptabilities to really assess what cannot be accomplished by just the basic stepping pattern. In all those situations, you do require adaptability. You kind of answered this a little bit, but is there anything that you would add to why walking adaptability is important for someone following a stroke? And I think also on that question, 
why is it important for us to measure it in the in the clinic as well for this population? So the way to think about this is again kind of two sort of big picture summary statements, and I'll I'll provide a description for both of those in general. But I think it's important to remember that walking adaptability requires some distinct neural resources. Um, and these resources are required on top of steady state walking. So when we sort of understand the neural control required for walking adaptability, we know that's especially important for stroke, like I'll explain in a minute. Those are the pathways that are actually affected in someone with a stroke, not necessarily the pathways required for steady state walking. So there are those distinct neural resources that are required. And we also know that from a lot of the literature that's published, both animal literature and from human literature, that adaptability can be compromised even when steady state walking is intact. So you do need an extra set of resources for adaptability. So let me talk about now why it is specific and important for someone with a stroke. So stroke, as we know, is the upper motor neuron lesion and damages those supraspinal motor pathways. And these pathways are the ones that are critical for walking adaptability. So some of this goes back to the classic frameworks uh, proposed by uh, Frostberg and Grillner. So when we think about what controls walking, there is this tripartite model. Um, you will have the stepping requirement, which is controlled or organized more, likely organized more at the spinal cord level. We have the requirement of equilibrium posture and that you know central static balance component needed for locomotion and walking which is likely organized at that subcortical level. And then we have adaptability. So this word adaptability actually came from the 1970s and whenever the first a long time ago when the, the, this paper on neural construct was proposed. So that component of adaptability we know requires that supraspinal input. And there's a lot of experimental data, as I mentioned, both in animals and humans. So some of the human subject data shows that with steady state walking, you know, a lot of the corticospinal pathways are not really uh, required for the steady state walking. You don't see like the motor evoked potentials, for for instance. When you do more of those adaptability tasks, that's when the demand on the corticospinal tract increases, especially for people, individuals with a stroke, where you have that damage in the corticospinal tracts and the supraspinal motor pathways, which are the pathways uh, that are important for adaptability. Um, it's critical we assess adaptability because likely it's going to be impaired. When I hear you talk about it, specifically to the stroke population too, I really think about how walking adaptability is a lot of the reason why these persons are so fearful to walk outside, like even in their home, but outside of the home. Mm -hmm. It's just such a reminder of how important it is for this population, like not only getting past past that fear that we need to work on it, but that we need to make sure we're actually looking at it, measuring. Yeah, that, that's a wonderful analogy. And that just brings me to beyond the experimental data. There's of course a lot of like epidemiologic information available that uh, individuals with stroke, we know, you know, they're out and about and walking rather quickly, they're independent. You know, the numbers are, I think I mentioned this in the paper, about 80, 85% or something like that. But a very small percentage actually in are fully integrated in the community. And what does community walking require? It, of course, requires, you know, going up and down stairs, inclines, 
negotiating obstacles and all those kind of adaptability tasks. So I think the the data is right under our nose to say that we do need to assess. And assessment is, of course, the first step to targeted intervention. So assessment and intervention is really important in terms of working adaptability for our uh, stroke population. Let's talk about the dimensions a little bit. You discussed the seven dimensions of community mobility as proposed by Paula and Shumway Cook, recommended in your research two domains that should be modified. Can you discuss what those two domains are and why you feel the modification is needed? Our work on adaptability um, and how we sort of conceptualized adaptability, we wanted to really provide some starting points for clinicians in terms of sort of conceptualizing this construct of walking adaptability. And so we thought about, you know, there are so many different uh, variations of task demands and environmental demands that will need to be the permutation and combination that you have to assess. And this is very complicated. How do we solve this? So that's why we found the need to try and simplify this construct of walking adaptability and the um, what we utilized were the domains. So you you mentioned the dimensions, um, and that was some of the background work that we use. So we conceptualized our domains of adaptability based on Patla and Shamvikuk's work, and they had come up with these eight dimensions of community mobility. We utilized these eight dimensions and we incorporated seven of the eight dimensions. So the dimensions that they mentioned. So just a little bit about what that is, because we are talking about what we modified. We need to know the basis of why we chose that dimension. So Patla and Shami Cook's uh, work is really focused on the external dimensions uh, that are needed to walk in the community. So it's focused on sort of the environment. Whereas our focus in walking adaptability is the domains, which is the capacity or ability. So it's not really focused on a specific environment. So these domains can actually be utilized both in the community and at home. So that's sort of the subtle modification there. And so we utilized, uh, like I mentioned, seven of the eight dimensions. We modified two of their uh, dimensions. The one that we modified was the dimension of traffic density. So this was the original dimension from Patla and Shamil Cook's framework. And we modified this dimension into two separate domains. So under traffic density, under Patla and Shambhik's framework, they sort of club the whole aspect of, you know, when you're out and about in an environment that's really busy, there are too many things occurring. Um, so they, within their traffic density were aspects of obstacle negotiation, you know, maneuver within that environment. So we found the need to separate those two dimensions uh, because obstacle negotiation, as we know, is really important for our for our patients and something that we um, assess. And a lot of times we also utilize that for intervention. Uh, creating that as a separate dimension would be beneficial because it would warrant its exclusive assessment within walking adaptability. And maneuvering traffic is different if you think about obstacle negotiation versus maneuvering in traffic. Maneuvering in traffic really requires maneuvering the whole body and a discrete set of abilities, like you have to process your speed, your direction of movement. And this is a little different from when you're stepping over an obstacle where it, it, it can be, you know, other discrete set of abilities. So we thought it was important to separate those two. We also modified the domain of the dimension of attentional demands as proposed by Patla and Shamvi Cook. And we modified that into two domains of cognitive dual tasking and motor dual tasking. And we know addition of both cognitive or motor task to walking demands, you know, unique and varying amounts of attention resources. So we really 
propose this domain to, to look at both of those aspects of, you know, attentionally demanding tasks of cognitive and motor. When I read your article, I really had to think about like the DGI and FGA, which mm -hmm. we're all most familiar with. And I was surprised at when you identified that those two tests really only capture like four or five mm -hmm. domains, clearly not enough. And I'm missing something with a lot of my patients, which takes me into to one of my questions. What do you feel those functional outcome measures are lacking in terms mm -hmm. of assessing walking adaptability in persons yeah. with stroke? The DGI and FGA both are well-validated assessments. DGI especially has been validated a lot more in the stroke population. Both of those assessments were originally meant for individuals with vestibular disorders. I know I'm not saying anything that you don't know already. But both of these assessments, they're, they're great assessments, right? But we looked at these assessments in terms of the domains of walking adaptability that they capture. So these assessments were not really meant or set out to assess adaptability in the first place, right? So it's kind of looking at it backwards. So, you know, it's a critique, but it's uh, it wasn't really meant to assess walking adaptability. It was really you know, the goal was overall modification of gait. And, and because of the challenges we have in the in, in this area of literature, which is we don't even know how to define walking adaptability in the first place, which is what we clarified. And then when we define, you know, it's so complicated. What are all the, you know, aspects that we need to assess? Like it's probably not possible and feasible in the clinic environment. So I, I want to sort of say all that up front because the purpose here was not to really say these are not good assessments, but to identify what domains and is it comprehensive and rigorous enough for the purpose of walking adaptability. So like you said, and thank you for reading the reference so closely, indeed, it was about four or five. And I think the dynamic gait index were one additional domain of adaptability compared to the functional gait assessment. So I think what it's lacking is the comprehensive piece uh, for assessment of walking adaptability. So the ones that are missing uh, in terms of the domains of adaptability are the cognitive and motor dual task. That's true for both DGI and functional gait assessment. So we don't have items that assess the cognitive dual task, motor dual task, which are important task demands needed. And you have to sort of adapt your walking you know, as, as you perform these cognitive and, and motor dual tasks. We also know that a lot of falls actually occur when you're not paying attention to what you're doing or you're over-attending to what you're doing. So, you know, when, whenever this task interference occurs, it is it leads to, so it's relevant in that context. Ambient demands um, is the third domain that is not captured by either. That is, uh, you know, change in lighting. And so the sensory demands change and which necessitates Adaptability to be organized slightly differently when you think about sensory, you know, helps with the motor. So, of course, the demands on adaptability are different. So, ambient demands are not captured. The aspect of physical load, which a lot of the assessments actually don't capture. There's one assessment which is actually not validated as, as much in the literature, which captures the aspect of physical load. So, this refers to carrying heavy objects, interacting against heavy objects. We know a lot of the anti that anticipatory balance control, reactive balance control, which are key sort of constructs that might be helpful in adapting 
your ability as you walk may be lacking in individuals with strokes. So these may be important dimensions to capture and assess for our patients. And then the functional gait assessment in ad- additionally doesn't um, capture the aspect of maneuvering around traffic. In the DGI, it's captured by walking around obstacles. So again, a lot of information that I presented to you. Not to say these are not good assessments. It's really like uh, what we are missing is the comprehensive piece. In some ways, we have to we have to think about what is the best fit for our patients. DJI does capture a lot of lot of the aspects, uh, but there may be some additional aspects that we may want to capture for our patients. You looked at multiple measures. A lot mm-hmm. of them I had never heard of either. Do you recall the two that covered the most walking adaptability domains? So the WIT test and the MTT, the multiple task test, were the two. I've also not used these tests in the clinic. I think what we are kind of also saying is we don't have good validators assessments that comprehensively assess walking adaptability, right? Um, So these two tests based on our literature uh, review and content analysis, we found that these two particular tests measured most number of domains of walking adaptability compared to other assessments. This work was published in 2014. To your knowledge, have there been any new assessment tools developed that better measure progress in walking adaptability? I recently create these sort of annual reports and things of that nature to show the progress we have made in our research agenda and so on and so forth. So I recently did this just for fun. I typed in the keywords, walking adaptability, stroke, clinical assessment. And from 2014 to 2023, there are uh, 60 papers. 2000 up until 2014, so the first 14 years, there are only 13 papers. So there's almost like a three, four time increase in the number of publications. Of course, when you go in more closely, it's not all about assessment, it's assessment and intervention combined. There's a lot of focus on walking adaptability. Um, I'd like to believe uh, in the ideal world, it's related to my paper, but that's not true. We are all sort of motivated by similar interests that we understand a lot about walking and assessment of walking, but we need to do better in, in trying to assess the kind of walking that is most meaningful for our patients, which brings us to this construct of walking adaptability. So to my knowledge, there has been a lot of focus in the literature on this construct of walking adaptability by this term. So walking adaptability has been studied by other terms within this construct. There has been a lot more emphasis on it. Are there any new validated assessment tools? To my knowledge, there aren't. There are two themes out there um, and there are like papers related to that. One in terms of targeted stepping paradigms. So these are in the process of being validated. This is quick targeted tests, but it's still very much in the lab experimental kind of world which I think we need to do some of that first to really solidify what we want to do in the clinic. And then there's another sort of theme that is studied a lot, which is on interactive walkway. So this is actually a 10 meter walkway that is uh, that you can utilize and it's connected to Kinect system and it projects these virtual projections on the floor. So it's not on a treadmill, but it's overground. It's still some of that feasibility aspect of there's some processing required. There's, of course, a little bit of the tools and technology, but more more to the end of processing that is needed. So that has also been suggested as a validated way to assess walking adaptability and the different domains. So these are papers that have 
referenced uh, this work published in 2014 and talked about the need for comprehensive assessment, need to assess different domains. So yes, there has been some work, but there's a need to develop something that's comprehensive and rigorous that can be used in the clinic. One idea that you mentioned that I thought was interesting was the item response theory. That would be more of a comprehensive assessment scale. Can you share with us what that is and how it would be used in the clinic? Item response theory per se is not a clinical tool. It's really like a methodologic and a statistical approach. So the item response theory um, has been around for a long time, and it's been used as this methodologic approach for developing assessments for their psychometric analysis, for scoring assessment scales, and it's really becoming the benchmark for developing and analyzing. Well, it's used a lot for analyzing assessment scales, but more so for developing. There are papers that go back, I think, to 2012 that talk about a roadmap a mixed methods model where you can use both qualitative and quantitative approaches and use this IRT-based assessment scale. So I'll try to keep it simple because IRT is a very complicated approach to kind of say very simply how it can be used in the clinic. Really, the IRT-based assessment has to be developed in research and validated in research to be able to be used in the clinic. So development of that IRT-based assessment will really require first identifying a pool of assessment items. I think some of the review work that we have done provides that pool of assessment items. It requires conceptualizing a hierarchy of difficulty levels. Some of our work after proceeding this, we have developed a, based on experimental data, we have identified a hierarchy of difficulty levels. And then IRT-based assessments also needs testing these assumptions under uh, using IRT methods, which would need you know, large pools of data collection where you have these pool of assessment items and you're really testing this hierarchy. So what it would look like IRT-based assessment is like a computer adaptive test. It can be administered, of course, in different formats, but what I'm, I'm envisioning for something as complicated as walking adaptability to have like a computer adaptive test. So you have all these tasks and environmental combinations you can test, but what is most relevant? What is the right challenge level for your patient so you can really balance comprehensiveness with precision. So let's say you uh, you have a, a patient who, you know, an 85-year-old individual with a stroke or living at home and you having hard food, hardwood floors, she really likes to go out for walks. Some of the relevant domains for her to, to challenge her adaptability could be related to the terrain, for instance. An IRT-based computer adaptive testing model would present those, you know, items in within that domain. So that's kind of what it would look like, but it needs rigorous uh, research testing before it can be used in the clinic. So it would be a therapist who is working with um, an iPad who inputs certain key criteria for, for the patient, uh, their starting speed, let's say, their Fugelmeier score, for the lower extremity and some just key assessment items and your computer adaptive test spits out one or two items where the assessment should begin. So that's kind of what it would look like in the clinic, but it what it would need, the background work would need that item response theory testing, both qualitative and quantitative. And we have certainly provided some of that qualitative piece from our review. We have also done some quantitative work and proposed a hierarchy of difficulty levels uh, across some of these adaptability items. So there's a lot of the background information available. 
now it's about getting big grants and running those big uh, studies and and then the large samples to be able to do an IRT-based analysis and develop that kind of computer adaptive test. Um, I know you are passionate about closing the gap between research and clinical practice. What is a takeaway from this article that clinicians can work towards implementing for their patients with stroke? Yeah, that's an excellent uh, question and something that I love to answer because sure enough, not only have I been asked, uh, but I really operate with this model. So um, I challenge myself to think, you know, we've done all this. So what? Is there something that I can provide as a takeaway to the clinician that can be used on a Monday morning? Maybe there isn't, but maybe there is. You know, I try to at least strive to provide that simple answer to begin with. Uh, I think the key takeaways I would say is one to really understand that walking adaptability is its own construct. So when we think about walking, we should be thinking about adaptability in addition to other aspects of walking that we are capturing. So we know walking adaptability is really important for everyday life to be safe, to to really have an optimal functional recovery for our patients. We know that already, but are we assessing walking adaptability? So something simple that I like to tell my students so that you do a three-pronged assessment for walking for your patients. Definitely assess speed, right? If possible, get an assessment of endurance for your patient, but speed assessment should be the basic minimum. You're likely going to be assessing some sort of static balance because you do need that ability to maintain posture and balance. So you should be assessing that. And then throw in an adaptability assessment there. Do you have time for a full DGI at the least, let's let's do that. Maybe an FGA to add some of those additional components of backward walking. Or can you do a modified DGI or you don't have time, but you know your patient fell when they were taking the trash out, walking down, you know, there was an incline on a driveway. So you know that that's where the problem is. So can you ensure that you capture that in your assessment? Of course, there are problems with that because it won't be validated or you know, standardized way of assessment, I try to gear my students to do this three-pronged assessment, assessing the progression piece, which is speed, balance piece, which you are already assessing likely with other assessments, uh, and then think about adaptability. Should you be assessing adaptability? I would say yes, for a lot of our patients, especially for people with stroke, and maybe even uh, look at the domains of adaptability. So I think a simple way uh, uh, takeaway from this reference is one of the tables, one of the earlier tables that I present in the paper in just kind of being aware of these different domains and asking the right questions to our patients. If Even if we don't have a comprehensive assessment at this time, we wanted to sort of think about, okay, do our patients need to be interacting with physical load? Is this something that is relevant for our patients? Am I assessing it? And then if I'm not assessing it, I'm likely not treating it, right? So I think a, a simple approach to focus on assessment of adaptability it would be my biggest takeaway. As hopefully many know, the FGA and the BERG, which is not walking adaptability, but those are part of their core clinical outcomes. So mm-hmm. hopefully that's something all students are familiar and, and clinicians are familiar with start doing. Anything else, Dr. B, that you would like to share with us? We would also love to hear something that you're working on currently with your research. First, I want to thank you for providing me this platform to share my research and share my research, especially that is relevant to clinicians 
So currently my work is uh, extending this area of work with adaptability. I am working on assessment, on the assessment piece with adaptability, but I'm also interested in progressing ahead with the intervention piece with adaptability. You know, it goes back to some basic questions, especially for individuals with stroke. When do we begin adaptability intervention? I had this conversation just short while ago with one of our clinician partners and should they be at a certain speed to be able to now begin negotiating obstacles? Should we do both? So there is just some of these very interesting clinical questions even to begin with. There's certainly a lot of experimental and research questions related to when we think about intervening adaptively, what should we be focused on? Is it the foot placement component? Is it the creating complex environment? There's a lot of the pieces that need to be teased, but very simple things in terms of when should we begin? treating adaptability. My take to that is we begin day one. If your patient is up and standing able to take a few steps independently, you start challenging them. So uh, I think um, I'm really interested in taking this ahead and forward in terms of both assessment and treatment of adaptability. I currently have a funded grant. This is, of course, in the area of older adults. So I also do work in the area of older adults. And we'll be looking at a quick and easy test of adaptability. I don't want to give it away right now, but we are we are going to be testing some of that in our older adult uh, population. Well, it won't be quick and easy, but it will be relatively easier. So time is really important and a clinician's time is really important. So I'm trying to replicate some of the things from the literature and look at the clinical feasibility of it. Of course, it does require a piece of technology. So we have to kind of, you know, balance some of those things. So we are testing some of that in our, uh, older adult population, and we are anticipating we would be testing that in the stroke population as well. So that those are some of the things that I'm working on currently in terms of assessment. I would love to keep furthering my interest in the area of treatment of adaptability because as a I'm also an actively practicing clinician, and I spend a lot of time working on walking with my patients. And typically, it looks like I take them out. They're negotiating different terrains. We do quite a bit in the clinic, but do we have the right dosage? And do we have the right intensity at which we are challenging our patients? There are lots of unanswered questions for the clinicians. I look forward to hopefully seeing a new assessment out from you someday then. Thank you so much, Dr. Shitra Bala Subramanian. We really appreciate your time and your research and your passion towards this population and helping further our education and helping our patients. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That was a great conversation with Dr. B. I hope that you as our listeners took something away for myself. What I took away is to continue to add in a walking adaptability outcome but not only that, but to listen to a patient's history and a patient's passions and their hobbies and what their days used to look like and grasp from that, is there a walking adaptability domain that this person likes to participate in that I'm not capturing on an outcome measure? And can I just make it a single assessment that I make sure I do every reassessment so I can show the patient that they are getting better with it and that we are challenging it correctly and to just build that confidence to let them get back out there and doing it. Thank you so much, Dr. B. Again, I know this article was almost 10 years old, but it's still so relevant for all of us um, and just a good reminder. And if any of you are passionate out there about research, maybe you can help Dr. B with a new assessment. 
Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you learned. Send us an email at strokesig at gmail.com. Comment on our Instagram page. Love to have a conversation regarding this article. Thanks for your time and thanks for listening. And we'll see you again. Bye.